You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey. Hello. Hello. And today, we're going to talk about some taboo money topics and the taboo nature of money in general is just one of these weird things that we don't talk about very much when actually it's really important for most people. So we wanted to talk a little bit about why it's still kind of a no-no to talk about it and when and where it's something that we don't usually talk about. Why is that? And maybe some ways that we can potentially change that. So I think, you know, to start just the why of it, I think it's one of those things where when we think about social structure and what we're allowed to talk about and what we're not allowed to talk about, there's not a whole lot of objective reasons for why that is. It's just something that people decided at one point. It's like, this is something we don't talk about because, and then you try to insert a good reason and there is no good reason. I firmly believe that with money. Like there's not really a good objective reason to not talk about money other than maybe like, let's not hurt people's feelings. But that just goes with, you know, maybe you need to be careful about how you talk about things. It's not the thing itself that's offensive at all. Like money is not an offensive thing. So I think it varies by culture too. Like obviously we're talking about the culture here where we grew up and, you know, that's generally been the way that we were raised. Like we don't really talk about how much money we make. We don't really talk about all these different things. Um, But it's really interesting for Corey and I because we are in this industry where all we do is talk about money all day, every day. <laughs> and so within, you know, affinity group, within financial advising, we're all very comfortable talking about all things money. And I do think that sometimes in my personal life, I forget that other people are not comfortable talking about money. So there's been lots of situations where I just, I don't, I just start talking about money things without any sort of filter. And I have a moment where I wonder if I'm making other people uncomfortable. And I still don't feel uncomfortable at all. <laughs> but you do realize like, okay, maybe this isn't something that other people want to talk about or, you know, feel as comfortable talking about. So, you know, we're going to dive into a few of those topics and situations where, you know, people may or may not be comfortable, but also just some of the reasons behind this. Yeah, I think one belief is, maybe you want to call it a fallacy, that, that money or wealth equals human value. And the more you have, the more you earn, the more important you are. And it establishes that social pecking order, which right or wrong, there is some truth to that in the sense of how we view others. It's like, all right, rich, famous, powerful, you know, maybe not the famous part, but you know, if you have money, you got power in our society, more things, you know, more doors are open for you. Um, but but I don't think it's fair to, to equate it with, with someone's worth or value. You know, there's a lot of people that don't earn a lot or don't have a lot that make a huge impact in their communities and the, and the world and the people around them. Um, so it's kind of unfair that, that, that money is, has such that, that strong 
stigma. Um, and, you know, as a result, it, it, it can, it, you know, talking about money, especially if there's a discrepancy between you and the person you're talking with, you know, whether they have more or you have more, uh, it can result in a feeling of shame or embarrassment. And, you know, there's that fear of judgment if you know, talking about money, like, you, you know, Rochelle mentioned, we feel very comfortable talking about it. And even in social settings where the other people may not be as comfortable. And um, I think for others, there is that, that fear of being judged. And I'm sure it varies from person to person. Um, you know, and, and I guess, you know, our society has dictated that money is, is personal information. What you have is personal information and then your personal info should be kept private and not shared. So that probably has something to do with it. Um, it could also be seen as crass when you talk about talk about money, but I don't I don't know. I think I think we try hard to to change that stigma, and I think over time, it, I think it slowly is becoming a little more comfortable for some, especially in younger generations that share everything on social media. Um, I, I think it is becoming a little bit more commonplace, but still definitely definitely a, a taboo subject. Yeah. I think the social media thing is interesting, too, because I do think that pe- people project more wealth and resources than they actually have a lot. So in some ways, it may be creating more transparency and like creating more ways to talk about things. But in other ways, I think it's just another way to front, another way to like, you know, put yourself out there as being able to do whatever you want to do whenever you want to do it. And that's not the reality for most people. For sure. I guess there's some that, yeah, they're just putting on their, you know, filtered life on on Instagram or TikTok or wherever. And look at me, look at what I have, show off, flaunt, etc. But then there are others that, like, I say maybe more specifically financial personas or, or, or bloggers or personalities that, like, they'll publish their quarterly net worth on Instagram. You know, they'll you know, take snapshots of their 401k balance and things of that nature, which, you know, I don't know how I feel about, I think, I think on the positive side, it's good that they're being open and trying to create more openness and comfort around talking about money. At the same time, do you need to share your 401k balance? Cause again, it could make others feel uncomfortable. So there is, it is a, a balancing act of, of trying to, uh, push forward and 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 get rid of the taboo nature around money while also not harming or hurting other people's feelings. Right. And I think when we talk about like there needs to be more transparency with finances and things like that, it's really about like a lack of financial education in our society. And if we are unfamiliar with something and we are uncomfortable talking about it, then we may not really understand it. And that can create some big disadvantages. So it's not necessarily like you need to talk with your family about exactly how much you have in your 401k. It's more, you know, are you willing to talk about a 401k? You know, are you willing to talk about retirement savings in general? Like those are things that can be very valuable to discuss. And there's lots of people, you know, People grow up and they go to church every Sunday and you go to Sunday school and your kids grow up learning about religion and they go into the world having this knowledge about religion. You know, what if we created things like that for other useful skills as well, you know, like finances? Like, I don't I don't know that we can necessarily completely rely on, you know, the education system to teach 
about how to manage personal finances because there's a lot of things that they're required to teach and there's all the standardized testing and and like financial literacy just doesn't fit nicely into a like a, a standardized testing box it's just there's it's not there yet so i think that it's something that we have to take on as as families and and as a society just to help kids learn about this so that they can make good choices moving forward yeah and yeah, I think it, it would be tough, we could talk about more later, but to, to implement some sort of financial education curriculum, because it's such a vast topic and there's so many, it, it applies differently to people, um, you know, case by case. Like for doctors, for example, student loans, public service loan forgiveness, big subject matter. For a lot of the rest of society, not nearly as big of a, of a subject matter. They didn't take out $200,000 of loans to go to med school. Now, maybe you know, plenty of people have undergrad student loans, and there's scenarios where it applies to them, but you know, totally different set of circumstances. So certain specific subjects around money apply to certain groups but not others, so it's hard to just do a blanket. Here's the, uh, the generalized education you should have. You know, I think there are certain things like how does a credit card work, you know, what is interest, and do you pay it, do you receive it, etc. The importance of saving for retirement. Look at some of those compound interest tables. You know, talk a bit about generalized investing. So there is a lot of stuff that could be implemented, but um, I don't think high school is necessarily the appropriate time for all of that because it's just not relevant then. You know, you, know? Mm -hmm. you so. forget half of it by the time that it is, or you know, three quarters of it, or ninety percent of it. <laughs> But at least bringing it up and having yeah. that exposure, I think, is beneficial. Because like, if Absolutely. you're a six-year-old in Sunday school, you don't understand or know what the heck most of this stuff is. Um, you know, if we're going back to that analogy, but just having that continuous drip, drip, drip exposure to it, you know, you you slowly start to grasp, slowly start to remember concepts, and uh, and it'll you know ultimately be a more familiar subject for you when it becomes more applicable. Yep, absolutely. So I think there's a handful of financial topics that are particularly taboo, and we're going to walk through a, a few of those. Um, I think the big one that I always think about is salaries, you know, how much you're compensated um, with colleagues, like discussing that with colleagues. There's a lot of workplace environments where it's still like not okay and not allowed to discuss your salary with your colleagues. Um, and I think, you know, people outside of your workplace, they're even less likely to talk about exactly how much you get paid. But it's it's silly. You know, coworkers honestly should discuss their salaries because and, and with other peers in their same industry to get an understanding of how they are being compensated compared to peers. Because if you don't know that, you don't know if you're underpaid, you don't know if you're getting paid fairly. And I think that employers often use that as a way to undercompensate people that do not advocate for themselves. And I think that this can be true in medicine, especially because, you know, when you started a new job, there are lots of jobs where you can negotiate your salary, you can negotiate a start starting bonus, all of these things. And not everyone does this. And I think a lot of times it, you know, it kind of leans more heavily towards, you know, maybe women don't advocate for themselves, and they don't negotiate as much and things like that. So you get this like, this not level playing field from the very beginning, when you're starting in practice that just gets, 
you know, worse over time as you go through your career. But if if people talked about what they got paid and if they knew that they were getting paid less than their colleagues with similar experience and things like that, it would be much harder for employers to justify doing that in the first place. Yeah, absolutely. I think just being more open, transparent creates that understanding and it ultimately will be normal then you know if everyone knows what everyone else is making it's it's the norm it does create much more of a level playing field some of it is though market driven like if you're a primary care doc in san francisco or los angeles or new york you're a dime a dozen so there's only so much negotiating up you can do before they could find someone else to do the same job at a lower cost whereas if you want to make more money, North Dakota's calling. They could use a primary care doc because there's not one in a 300-mile radius in some small town, and they could use you and pay you 400 grand a year plus give you an extra 50 a year to go to your student loans. So um, you know, like any industry, the market does dictate the compensation. Um, let's see, another one. Debt is a somewhat taboo subject. Having debt, being in debt. You know, no one wants to care to admit that. Although certain debts can be very useful and helpful to you. Like if you're starting a business, you might need to take out a loan to get things off the ground. Um, if, if you you know want to buy a house, you probably need to take out a mortgage to get that house. I think taking out a mortgage is very much um, you know more normal and acceptable, uh, an acceptable form of debt. But how much mortgage you take out is maybe a little taboo. Um, but like, for example, right now, if you have a 3% interest rate mortgage, but you can receive, you're paying 3% in interest, but you can receive 4% or more on your high interest savings account or 5% on a short-term treasury bill, there's really no point paying extra on that mortgage because you're making more money by putting your excess money to use in other areas. I'm sure you can invest it and no guarantees, but likely get more than 3% on average over the long run. So that having that low interest rate debt can really help you accelerate your path towards financial independence and achieving your other financial goals by using that excess money um, more productively. You know, credit cards, those are, those are just brutal. If you have credit card debt, um, you probably don't want to talk about it at all, but, you know, you might be able to, you know, get some, some insight or some ideas from others. Maybe there's a 0% interest option you could do a balance transfer to. You know, maybe there's a credit card out there that gives you better points. I think, you know, the points and rewards is, is more comfortable for people to discuss. Um, but, uh, yeah, I actually had a, you know, a personal family friend reach out to me about a situation that they were dealing with. And it was because, you know, like the week before we'd been talking about money stuff. And she never would have reached out and asked me about that if we hadn't already been having some fairly frank conversations about money. But it was basically like, hey, we need a new HVAC. We also need a new car. (laughs) I don't know exactly. Like, should we, like, empty our savings? Should we finance it? If we do finance it, how should we finance it? You know, she was asking me all of these very relevant questions that I think two weeks before she would never have felt comfortable asking me. And I was able to give her some helpful information. And even if you don't like have a financial advisor friend, you likely have someone who's been through a similar situation and done some research, you know, and, and even if they can't, maybe you don't trust their exact answer, but, you know, they, they might give you some information and then you look at the internet to like, you know, help you get on the right track and figure it out. And we were able to come up with some really helpful solutions for that particular problem. And that's the kind of thing that can be really good about talking about money 
is that you can come across some good ideas to help you deal with, you know, unexpected issues involving debt more efficiently. Yeah, definitely. Let's see. Another one that's probably a bit taboo to bring up is inheritance. Uh, you know, I don't or think trust funds. Yeah, no one really <laughs> cares to admit if they received an inheritance or a trust fund baby. Um, you know, it can lead to strife within family members, especially if the inheritance wasn't distributed equally, or even if it was distributed equally, but certain individuals feel they should have received a larger share, maybe because they helped out more with ailing parents. Um, you know, or, or maybe they made less money than their siblings during their career, so they feel like they should, you know, get a, you know, a larger share of the inheritance to try and even the things out. But um, again, I think if it's just something that's more openly discussed and, and talked about, it becomes a little more comfortable and maybe can create some less strife, um, you know, within family members or uh, hopefully maybe removing somewhat of that aspect of envy and judgment uh, across our culture. So, yeah, when there are inheritances and things like that, when, you know, the person that is gifting that money, when they pass away, if they've been fairly open about it ahead of time, there's not going to be as many arguments, (laughs) you know, like it's just so much better if you know what to expect. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, I think on the house side of things, kind of related to debt, but like, you know, if you bought a house, the price of your house, the cool thing is, is that that's public information now. <laughs> so Anyone with your address you know, can look up what you paid. Exactly. And honestly, I will tell you as a financial professional, that's one of the first things I do, <laughs> which is probably terrible to admit, but that's like... You know, you deal with money every day. You're very curious about, like, you know, what is this house? Like, what what's going on with this house? Um, and I think that that's, that's really interesting. Like, people don't necessarily want to tell you what they may have paid for a house. They may be embarrassed thinking they overpaid or something like that. Also, like, the cost of home renovations. I think a lot of people experience sticker shock when they're looking at doing home renovations because people don't talk about it openly when they pay for it. You know, like, no one wants to tell you they paid sixty grand for their kitchen remodel, but maybe they did, and a lot of times they did. You know, and, and I think that it could be really helpful to have some of that information ahead of time just to, you know, do you really want to do that? Obviously, you're going to get quotes before you go through with it. But by the time you're getting quotes, maybe you've already decided you want to do it. So even if it's a, a higher price than expected, you may just roll with it. Yeah. Let's see. Gift giving. This one might be more of like a pet peeve, but <laughs> the price of a gift either like we don't tell people how much we spent on their gift, even though it's pretty easy to look up on Amazon what it costs. <laughs> but uh, I mean, the, the stigma behind it, either you, you overspent and they feel guilty that you spent so much on them or you come off as cheap because you didn't spend enough. And where's that line? Like who who's in charge of setting the, the price of what how much you should spend on a birthday present, a wedding present, uh, you know, kids, nephew, like how far out does the family tree go before you, you know, before you stop sending gifts. Um, so I don't know, like I'm of the mindset, you're a grown up, buy your own stuff. Gifts should stop at age 18. 
I totally agree. I think that gifts are overdone in general. You know, like it's just one of those things where half the time you give people something they don't really want just because you feel like they have you have to give them something. And it's especially with adults. Most of the time, adults have resources to get their own things. I've kind of resorted to like if there's someone that I really care about and I want to give them a gift, I think about the last thing that they give gave me. <laughs> and honestly, a lot of times when people give gifts, it's something that they know that they would enjoy. And so they give that to you knowing, hey, I would enjoy this. I bet she'll enjoy it too. But that's really what they like. <laughs> so, you know, you can kind of figure things out that way a little bit. But it, it's challenging. I think that's one of those things that socially maybe we should talk about a little bit more. Like, do we really even want to do this anymore? Is this worth the time and effort and emotional stress that we put on ourselves to, to give gifts when really like the other person may not care at all whether you get them a present. I think a lot of times that's the case. But it feels awkward to ask, like, do you even want a present? My brothers and I have just agreed, like, we've stopped giving each other gifts. It's like, why yep. exchange $50 Amazon gift cards for the holidays when we could just not do that? Um, mm-hmm. I mean, every once in a while, though, like if we see something that we know, they'll like, like, oh, I found this, you know, beer or bottle of bourbon that I know you like, and it's hard to come by, like snagged it for you. Type Those of thing. are so much more genuine and like heartfelt yeah. gifts too. And there's no like time limit on it. You know, it's just, yeah, like if I'm all about if it. If we're invited to a dinner party or something, sure, bring a bottle of wine or whatever they're into. But like if I'm hosting, I don't expect people to bring me anything like i'll just tell people hey here's what i got if you want something different bring it yourself uh, but don't please don't bring anything uh for me to have because like again i'm a grown-up i'll buy my own stuff but i guess i'm yeah. in a position to do that not everyone necessarily is so it gets back to that socioeconomic area where some people might be uncomfortable if they're invited to a, a dinner party and they, they 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 don't feel they have the means to bring a bottle of wine or a gift for hosting and they, they politely decline the invitation because they'd be embarrassed i, I don't know a yeah feeling. i think some of this you know you can't just talk yourself out of some of it is going to be challenging and i think that's true of any social circumstance obviously um, one other thing that I think people may be hesitant to talk about, not everyone, like I, <laughs> but financial advice, you know, just the fact that you pay an advisor. I think there are some people that are really excited about it and they talk to everyone about it. And those are where we get all our referrals from, you know, people that are just like, you know, this has been really helpful for me. But there are other people who may be embarrassed that they work with a financial advisor, either because they don't want to admit that they need help with money or maybe they don't want to admit that they're in a position that they have money that justifies needing help, you know, almost like, oh, this kind of makes it feel like I'm stuck up or snobby or something because I have a financial advisor. But I don't know. I think it's one of those things where if you have good advice from a financial advisor, you know, maybe you want to talk about like that advice that you've received and whether or not it's going to be helpful for someone else as well. But yeah, it's kind of a weird thing that sometimes comes up for folks. Next one here is, is interesting because some people are totally cool with it. Others are not or embarrassed by it. But like money spent on luxury items. You know, some view it as a status symbol, a way to, to show off. Hey, look, I made it. 
And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, you know, good for you. If that's, you know, you know, makes you feel better, kudos to you. Others are, are more uncomfortable and embarrassed by flaunting wealth, the whole stealth wealth, you know, thing. Keep your keep your money under the radar. Um, like for me personally, and this is just me, you know, I don't care, you know, what how you feel, but I am not a car person. A car for me is just get me from point A to point B safely and you know reliably don't want to do maintenance don't want to you know have to get a new car every few years and and like personally i'd be embarrassed driving a luxury car you know i'd be embarrassed to wear a rolex watch could i go buy a rolex watch sure maybe some of like the lower end ones um (laughs) you know but but like I, I would just feel like a an a hole walking around with one. That being said, I know people that collect watches and like having a, a nice Rolex, like that's awesome. Good for you if you're into that. If you're into cars and you feel good about you know buying and driving a nice car, good for you. It's you know kind of the Ramit Sethi thing. You know, spend money on what brings you joy. If that brings you joy, fantastic. But you know, don't spend money on other stuff that doesn't bring you joy. So for me. Not into the material things, but I will spend a lot of money on liquor. Like, I don't drink a ton, but, like, I've bought $200, $300 bottles of whiskey or tequila before. Um, You know, that's, like, I enjoy that. It's not, you know, some people don't. If you don't drink, that's probably not appealing to you. But, like, for me, if I'm doing the math in my head, all right, I could buy a $100,000 car or I could buy, like, 500 bottles of really, really high-end stuff. And, you know, say if there's, like, 12 to 16 drinks per 750-milliliter bottle, like, for the cost of that car, I could get 6,000 to 8,000 glasses of whiskey out of this, which would <laughs> last me, like, 20 years of having a drink every single day. Like, the, you know, so for me, that's, you know, I feel like money better spent for something I enjoy Whereas, you know, the car, it maybe last 10 years and I'd only, you know, I'd, I'd have to spend maintenance costs on it and et cetera. So anyway, spend money on what brings you joy. Um, if, if you like material things, great. Spend money on that. If you don't, don't spend money on that. You know, find things that, uh, but I think for some, getting back to that, you know, the, the shame, embarrassment and stuff, like it's it's a real thing. People aren't, you know, maybe not care to admit how much they've spent on certain things. Um, yeah. I love that for both of us. It's alcohol. Cause I think for me, like the thing that we step out in a stupid amount of money on is probably wine. Like, cause I really like a good glass. That's of great. Wine. <laughs> Spend a, a hundred dollar bottle of wine. If you want, if you really yeah. like it, you know, you know, on the flip side of things, I think there are some people that maybe get a, a lot of money to like, you know, causes that are near and dear to their heart. And, you know, they may feel comfortable talking about those causes, but they may not feel comfortable talking about like the extent of their giving, which is fine. You know, I think that's fine to like, you know, want to keep exact numbers to yourself, just like we were talking about earlier. But people should absolutely feel comfortable talking about supporting those causes themselves, because if that's really important to you, that may be something that someone else would want to contribute to as well so it can be really it's not like it's stuck up to do charitable giving (laughs) i think that's something that people should absolutely feel comfortable talking about for sure um let's see the uh you know 
the, the social stigma, you know, being uncomfortable with wealth or around wealth, you know, it's that, that stigma that money equals power or importance. I'm better than you because I have more type of thing, um, which I think is where, you know, some people are comfortable talking about money within people of similar socioeconomic status. Like, you know, Rochelle and I, zero qualms talk about money. Part of that's due to our vocations, but, you know, part of it, we're also on a level playing field where we have pretty much the exact same opportunities within our careers. Um, you know, so they're, they're, it's, it's more comfortable that way. Like I, I feel very comfortable, you know, outside of my workplace talking with people about money who I feel are on a, a similar playing field or even higher up on that socioeconomic ladder than me but i would feel uncomfortable talking openly about it with people that that i know probably don't have the same means as me like you know i'm okay with punching up but i don't want to punch down um you know i'd feel like i don't want to come across as i'm better than someone so like you know totally cool talking money with fellow financial advisors doctors you know other people that that seem to have um yeah, some means, but but might feel awkward discussing it with the school teacher parents of my kid's soccer team, just because I know they're maybe not in the same position uh, uh, financially as as others. So I don't know. Maybe that's a personal issue, but I think that that applies to a lot of people too. You know, they don't want to make others feel uncomfortable, um, especially if they have the means. And then vice versa, if you don't have those same means, you don't want to feel embarrassed or shameful because you're not in the same position. Yeah. There's a time and a place for everything, I think. You know, it, it's helpful to be discreet. I'm, we're like, ooh, talk about money, talk about money. But it can be helpful to be discreet if you feel like it's going to be uncomfortable. Like, you know, or, you know, introduce it in very small ways that just don't don't rock the boat a little bit. But, you know, in general, I think the big question is here is, like, can we change the taboo nature of talking about money? And I think so. Like, you know, socio social norms change all the time. And you can see so many examples of that throughout history, like bathing suits in the 50s compared to today, or just clothing in general, especially for women, like what people were expected to wear in the 50s versus what people wear now. Like our parents, our grandparents wouldn't be caught dead wearing what you see at the beach or the pool today. And there's, I don't think there's any like value judgment there. I think it's just something that changes over time. Like it just, is what it is and that's that's fine i think mental health is another really good example like people didn't talk about that stuff at all like decades ago and i think it's still a little bit taboo like we sweep it under the rug but it's much more acceptable to say hey i go to counseling you know i i see a psychiatrist i see a therapist like that and i think that it's a way for people to normalize that a little bit and this is the same sort of thing where you know the more we talk about it the more we normalize it and allow people to get the help that they need if they do need assistance. Yeah, absolutely. Those are great examples. Um, you're talking about just, just talking about it more generally and, and in a positive light. Like if you like the mental health one, you know, I go to a therapist, I go to a counselor, etc. You don't have to talk about the specific things you're going for or that you're addressing with said therapist or counselor um, or psychiatrist, but at least, you know, breaking down that stigma that it, that, you know, you're weak if you 
seek help for mental health. You know, that I think that's a huge one that that's changed for the better. Uh, but still, you know, share what you're comfortable with, but, you know, keep the part that you're uncomfortable with private, nothing wrong with that. Um, and, and relaying to money, you know, talking more about it openly and in a positive light. You know, a lot of the discussions around money in our culture associate money negatively. Um, and th- if, if that continues, it's, it's just going to be very difficult to make it more comfortable to talk about. So if we talk about it in a more positive manner, um, I think that'll help, you know, make people more comfortable. Um, and then also just creating more educational opportunities with money. You know, we kind of talked earlier about it, you know, introducing it in school, et cetera. How do you do that? I don't know. Um, like who's even <laughs> qualified to be teaching it uh, is another question, but uh, at least it breaks the ice and starts to normalize it. And within your families, you know, talk about money with your kids. You don't have to tell them exactly how much you have in your checking account or your 401k, but, you know, at least talk about, you know, the importance of saving for retirement. Talk about, you know, the importance of paying off your credit cards each month and, you know, why, you know, we can't spend money on this thing because we're prioritizing that thing instead because it's more important to us. Um you know, for whatever We've reasons, talked about this be. a little bit before, but I think talking to kids about how, you know, work equals money and then money equals like things or food and services and all of that kind of stuff. And like talking about the balance there, because sometimes, you know, people assume I need to make more and more and more and more money. And sometimes that's not the answer and that may not be your priority. And I think it's it's cool to teach kids to think about it that way. Like, you know, you work to really satisfy your needs, but also, you know, the things that you really want and you really value. But then, you know, how much do you value your time as well? But I also think that for young adults now, (laughs) there's been a lot of emphasis on doing the thing that you want to do and, you know, like finding, you know, some sort of I don't know, like self-fulfillment through your work and things like that. And then people may be in a position where they can't even pay their rent because they're not willing to work a job that helps them pay their rent. So I think having like very frank discussions about those kinds of things with kids is important too. Like you need a baseline amount of money to pay your bills. And at some point that will be on you and I won't be able to do it for you anymore. And there's always going to be like a time and a place where it's appropriate to talk about this with kids, like at what age do we introduce this? At what age do we introduce this? And I think that that will be something that maybe we talk about in another podcast episode. But obviously, I think that we don't talk about that enough in society today because I think you see a lot of younger adult children relying on parents for longer and longer and longer. Yeah, some of it is discussing money and some of it is just instilling that desire for independence and work ethic and uh i don't know if there's a a book that'll tell you the right way to do it as any parents can relate it varies from kid to kid and the nature versus nurture like you know as parents we only have so much influence on our children some of it's just dumb luck who they end up associating with their friend group experiences they've had outside of the house but we can you know try our hardest to do everything we can inside the house to make it, you know, a, a normalized topic. And I think I was very fortunate growing up because parents talked about money 
openly. You know, they didn't talk about exactly how much we had, but, you know, like, here's why we're clipping coupons, because this is on sale at the grocery store, and we want to spend less money on that thing so we can have more money to spend somewhere else. You know, this is why... You know, we, we're doing this instead of that, you know, saving for retirement, um, you know, things mm-hmm. of that nature, like starting with an allowance and teaching your kids the importance of saving some of it. You know, if you want to buy this thing, here's how much it costs. Here's how much your allowance is. Looks like you're going to have to save up for a few months if you want to get that thing. So um, you're kind of just gradually teaching that to uh, uh uh, to, to your children and, and just talking about it more regularly to make them more comfortable with it. And then hopefully that'll help remove the taboo nature for generations to come. Yeah. I think it's definitely harder to change, you know, kind of ingrained expectations with adults than it is with kids. So start with your kids. Yeah. Kids are very comfortable talking about whatever is on their mind out in public. As anyone Absolutely. with young children knows, there's no filter. So maybe we need to, you know, take a take a, a page out of our kids' book and start doing that as adults. <laughs> Within reason. <laughs> Within reason. <Yeah. laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.